Being a leader means taking charge when problems arise, and that can happen daily. When it does, leaders have to get creative with solutions and how they work together with their employees. Today, we're talking with Tapi Sadiku about how to work hand in hand with employees to solve problems effectively and efficiently. She often compares being a tech leader to being a doctor and employees to patients. Like a doctor, a leader has to reach into their toolkit to address an issue and find an answer. Technology is like a part of like the medical toolkit. In fact, I used to call technology like my medicine. I had this plethora of access to a number of different tools and solutions. And based on maybe where my patient or my client was at that moment in their life, based on that, we would use a different medical intervention. Tapi Sadiku is the former global head of digital employee experience at Kraft Heinz, having moved into a new role in the company as strategic planning lead for strategy, transformation, agile, and digital revolution. Kraft Heinz is one of the largest food and beverage companies in the world, and their brands are global, with products produced and marketed in over 40 countries. In her role, Tapi focuses on increasing productivity and creativity through the use of technology, and she's a thought leader on the future of work and life. Today, she'll describe her work and research on how we move, achieve objectives, connect, and collaborate between physical and virtual spaces. On Cruising Altitude, we talk about employee experience lessons from leaders at companies with over 30,000 employees. A lot like reaching cruising altitude at 30,000 feet, things look a little different when you're managing 30,000 people. On this podcast, we bring you insights from the leaders who inhabit that rarefied air. Today's episode features an interview with Tapi Sadiku, but first let's hear a word from our sponsor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cruising Altitude. This episode is brought to you by First Up, the company that's redefining the digital employee experience to put people first and lift companies up by connecting every worker everywhere with the information that helps them do their best work. First Up has helped over 40% of the Fortune 100 companies like Amazon, Ford, and Pfizer stay agile and keep transforming. Learn more at firstup.io. I would really describe myself as like a, a corporate doctor. So, you know, like patient walks into my office or my clinic and like any good doctor, I have a relationship with this patient. I'm like the general practitioner. Let's take a closer look at how Tapi fosters that relationship between employees and company or what she calls the patient and doctor. And the patient might say like, doctor, my knee hurts. And actually my knee hurts and you need to operate. And for those who work in businesses, how many times does someone like come into your practice and say, I have this problem, you need to solution it in this exact way. And like, you know, we have to fight the edge to be like, that's not your expertise, it is mine. I think we have to like die to the ego. And actually what I enjoyed about my last job was that it really encouraged me to sit, pause, reflect, think, listen, and observe. And actually maybe in this case, I would ask the patient to do like, can you tell me how long it's been hurting? Can you tell me when the pain comes? How does it manifest in your body? Where does it start? Where does it end? Um, Are there any triggers that you know about? If possible, can you maybe do some physical steps? And can I just watch you in your natural environment and listen to the words you use to describe this pain? So open communication is important to Tapi. She likes to ask questions to get to the bottom of pain points, but she has some other tips too. And actually also the words you don't use as well, because I think sometimes the emission of information is just as powerful as the addition. And actually maybe through that analysis or that um, consultation, I might say, you know what, patient, it's actually not your knee. It's actually like the placing of your foot. And I feel like if we correct the placing of your foot through physio, 
you're going to be out of this pain. And, you know, you've taken someone from somewhere where they've said, rip it out and put something new in to a situation where it's physio. You're using like what they have today and you're just kind of doing it in a new way and actually helping them to strengthen the muscles and even maybe strengthen the bones. And that's really what I thought of my last role. So employee digital experience. How do we enable our employees to achieve the promise of life, the promise of work with the use of technology? How do we remove friction and enable flow? What are the modes of work? And and really what does technology, like what's the role of technology in those moods? And as a good doctor should do, you know, it's not like the patient says, doctor, my finger's bleeding. And the doctor's like, hey, take Tylenol. You know, you don't lead with the medication. Actually, you lead with addressing of the symptoms and actually the addressing of the root cause. Technology is like a part of like the medical toolkit. In fact, I used to call technology like my medicine. I had this plethora of access to a number of different tools and solutions. And based on maybe where my patient or my client was at that moment in their life, based on that, we would use a different medical intervention. That's what Toppy did in her last role, and she loved it. She got to remove friction for her employees. In terms of how our employees worked, enabled, or at least endeavored to enable enable flow and find situations where our employees can kind of feel like they bring their holistic self to work. I remember using this language, especially when it came to looking at what is the future of our office physical space and like even looking at a virtual space. And, and I really loved that project because it was so philosophical in a way, but actually very practical and tangible. Anyway, I digress. So that was my old role. A lot has changed for Toppy since that role. She says that she learned a lot along the way. Actually, it's given me an appreciation of one's attitude towards change. I just had lunch with a friend today. Uh, she's an architect. Actually, she's she's a, like a senior principal for a well-known architectural uh, firm. And we were talking about, I, I really love like talking about the intentional design of space and how it can impact like work the workforce. And then actually, as I even lean further into the role that I'm in today, how how does that actually then materialize and manifest when we when we talk about like the achievement of a strategy? And I was talking to her about when I first moved here. So it's funny, like maybe I maybe I was primed and I said, you know, when I first moved, I actually hated it. I really, really disliked a lot of things. Like I was annoyed because, you know, <laughs> I started off by saying I order my Starbucks, it tells me four to seven minutes and I go at nine. So I know it's there. I kind of actually like structure and routine. You know, I wake up at the same time. I kind of eat the same thing. Anyway, the reason I tell you all of that is reeling it back, change is not like comfortable because change is like a change of routine. And and all of that movement, it gave me a deep appreciation of like, no matter how, let's say, open one thinks they are, change is just uncomfortable. Imagine if you had to think about everything you did in the day, like, oh, I want to brush my teeth. Like, where do I get toothpaste from? Oh, I want to watch something on television. Like, actually, how do I turn this television on? Or like, what are the channels? Oh, I want to get food. And I like this type of food. Like, actually, where are, I'm calling it a grocery store, but we call it a supermarket in the UK. So I'm like Googling supermarket and it's showing me 7-Eleven. And then I would say, okay, I want to take the tube But there's actually like not a tube. It's a different way to travel through America. It was just everything that should just be easy was tough when I moved here. And actually, to be honest, it was also the same when I moved anywhere else. There's a different language. There's just different cultural norms, like how people enjoy themselves, how they socialize, how they interact. And none of these things are bad. They're just different. And actually, what I was saying to my friend today is I have to remind myself when something doesn't feel great in the beginning, it's not actually bad. It's just different. And different isn't bad. It's just 
different and we need time to get used to that. And you can think about moving to different spaces. You can even think about exposure to different types of people, race, gender, color, religious background, sexuality, whatever. Like you have to extend grace to yourself to kind of go on that journey. So when I think about employee experience, moving around just gives me this like deep understanding of how uncomfortable it can be for things to change. As progressive as you think you are, as open-minded as you think you are, as like willing to change as you think you are. Moving often has given Toppy a deep appreciation for change and difference. It made her see how a new employee could feel the first few weeks at their job. Even the little things, like a new drink order at a coffee shop, reminds her that change is inevitable. You know, sometimes I think we're open to changing big things, but it's like the little things. Like when I moved to the U.S. again, I like a chai latte. It has soy milk. Soy milk in the U.K. tastes different to soy milk in America. So I was, I'd find my drink and be like, yes, thank God, there's one thing that I recognize. And I drink it, it tastes different. And I'm like, this has to stop. Like all the small things that change. And it, it gives me an, an appreciation of just how uncomfortable it can be, even if it's actually better for you. Just because it's better doesn't mean that it just, you automatically understand it. In fact, we were just having the same conversation, my friend and I. You can't just expect someone to do something because you say, it's good for you. I've done the research, therefore you should, I've decided this is the right thing. That will not, I can tell you now, that will not make me change anything. I just do not lead with that. So anyway, yeah, the moving around has given me that appreciation for sure. Let's zoom out and see how Toppy plans for and views her role in the flight plan. My old boss would say, you are the forward advancer. I think it's called forward advancer. And maybe I'll get fact-checked later on. What he was trying to say is if this was like the military or like the army, you are the one who goes into the environment. You can assess the environment. You come back and tell us like what's happening and you kind of help us strategize. And, you know, you've got this team behind you that will help you build, um, like leaning into their expertise. There's like a team that everybody plays a part, but you are the one who's like going into the future, going into the environment and telling us what, is happening. And based on that, we adjust our strategy. And that was like the role that I played within technology, or at least I endeavored to play. And I don't think you ever probably, at least in my experience, I never felt like I got to do everything I wanted to do at that time that I wanted to do it. But then, you know, new things came up as well. Toppy says that spaces can be a tool. How can people feel and be productive in a space? What kind of space enables productivity and creativity? What kind of spaces reduce barriers? Toppy's been thinking about all of this. The space in which our employees work, the tools that they have in those spaces, but the tools really that they have to do their job. So let's talk about spaces. And that I'm saying space as opposed to place because it can actually be like a, a physical space, so like an office or a virtual space. Everything from like looking at like an, a browser and a virtual workspace you can create in a browser all the way to like, all of these like cloud-based systems. Uh, to be honest, I didn't look after the cloud, but like the idea of like a virtual space. And then the way that we kind of interacted in those spaces and how we communicated with one another. So like how I try and describe is that the first two pillars were really looking at like transformation of technology. And I didn't, I want to be very clear, like I, I'm not an engineer. I wasn't the one building things, but really like trying to create like what that, out of the possible would be. And then the third pillar was really looking at the behaviors required to be effective in those spaces. So like, what does productivity look like? And the way I, I can also think to describe it is if, imagine if you had like a smartphone, but before a smartphone, you had like a piece of paper and a pen and like a fax machine and like a big 
desktop computer uh, and a big like desk-based phone. And then someone said, actually, you know what? We're going to consolidate all these huge physical things that you probably can't even imagine into this tiny little smartphone. That's like the transformation side. But then how you work actually changes. What you're able to do also now evolves. And that was like the behavioral side, like the product, we call it digital productivity. But what does it mean to use this new technology in this space? Uh, and how can that enhance your life? How does that enable you to be more productive? Uh, you know, reduce time and barriers, reduce time to kind of connect with your colleagues and collaborate and reduce barriers to execution. And then fundamentally, like give you time to be creative and inspired and then actually give you the tools that you need when you get there to be creative and inspired. Kraft Heinz is a CPG company and they're a food manufacturing company. When Tapi describes the personas in her company, she has a lot of ground to cover. At least I know we are in the top three biggest food manufacturing companies in the world. So we make like products that people eat and probably a lot of things that like the listeners for this podcast would recognize like ketchup, mayonnaise, beans, which I absolutely love. I'm learning about like mac and cheese. I'm learning about Oscar Myers. I'm learning about all of these different American brands. But that's what we do. So we're a CPG and we, we make food. There are so many different like versions of personas in this company. But at least in my practice, when I think about personas, I think about personas from this perspective. And there's a book called Crossing the Chasm, um, written by Jeffrey Moore, who is awesome. Like I read that when I was in university and I read it. Actually, I read it just before I took this, my last position, apologies. In Jeffrey Moore's book, he, he has this innovation adoption curve or technology adoption curve. And in it, he has four personas. One is a uh, digital enthusiast, which is like three to 5% of the population. And it's a persona of somebody who is very enthusiastic about any advances in technology. In fact, any innovative advances. And while this population represents a very small group, three to 5%, Really what I think is awesome about them is that they are so happy to like test in like a beta phase, experiment. Things don't have to be perfect. They'll give you feedback and actually they can act as like some of the greatest influences, um, especially when it comes to like helping things go viral. So then the next classification is called like your majority and it's broken into early and late majority. And that, if you think of like a bell curve, I actually don't 100% remember the percentage, but let's say it's like 70 to 80% because it's kind of quite big. And the early majority is like, okay, it has to kind of be proven. So it can't be in like beta, you know, minimum viable product phase, but it's kind of new to market and I'm happy to kind of like switch or I'm happy to test an experiment. And then your late majority kind of moves once this thing has gained momentum. Um, and then you have the final persona he calls laggards. And the laggard is like basically somebody who will not change, uh, refuses to switch and actually in all honesty in life, we can be any one of them. It's not like you would say, oh, I'm an enthusiast in everything in life. I just don't think anybody is. There is something that you just do not want to change. When Toppy thinks about personas, she narrows them down to four main versions. The way we applied it within my practice is that we would say, you're, you've got your digital enthusiast, same kind of language, and actually the same kind of characteristic and behavior. Someone who is enthusiastic about technology, we would use this population. Actually, we created a, an externally facing group called Collaborations Champions, where Anybody could join and they would hear about new advances in technology and they'd test and experiment and they'd give us feedback and we'd like make amendments and they'd have access directly to like the wider technology team to answer any questions. And then we move into the second group. Jeffrey Moore called it the early majority, but we called it digital native and less about like age. Actually, this is really about like your attitude towards technology. And then we, the third group, this is the late majority. We called them digital immigrants. What we were trying to say is, when it comes to technological advances, 
does it feel like you are migrating to something new? Uh, and that's really what that population represented. And by the way, digital immigrant and digital native are not like original language. Actually, it's like a, there's academic literature that also speaks to the same. We just we took it and we applied it to this model. And then the final um, laggard, we just called them traditionalists, mainly because as we were talking in the company, we were like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be using the word laggard. So we, we called them traditionalists. And that's someone who likes things to be in a traditional way. So yeah, those were our four personas within the practice. A good employee experience can create a good customer experience. And employees are key to how Toppy drives transformation. Let's get into how Kraft Heinz serves up a first-class experience. One of the things that has really served me well, and actually I'll keep this for the rest of my life, is this idea of like proof of concepts and minimum viable products. So we have probably about 40 or 50,000 employees split between like our people who work in our factory, like our frontline workers, and then people who work in our offices, like you may call them like knowledge workers. And that's people all over the world and not even just living in certain places, but like from different places. I mean, what's cool about the AM Center, which is where I am today, I can kind of walk around and hear so many different accents, but we're all in Chicago. So you you couldn't even just look at this office. I mean, you couldn't say, okay, there's like however many thousand of people here, or maybe hundreds, and they're all in America and Americans behave this way. Well, actually not, we're like quite dynamic and all of our offices are kind of also like that in their own unique way. So the idea of like running a proof of concept, just to say like, I have this idea and I, I just want to test and experiment, will it work? And then to what level can I kind of scale this out? And then at what point do I say, okay, the standard is maximized and then now here's the space for like individual or local nuance. So proof of concept, of the minimum viable products, yes. And then the idea of like understanding when your product has reached its maximum scale and, and when to invite local nuance because everybody wants to feel individual and also part of a group, you know. I, I really do believe that. Transformation can be driven by experimentation. It can also be driven by individual and group ideas. But pursuing transformation does have to be done carefully. You know, it's not always about the battles. Sometimes it's about winning the war. And that actually kind of sounds a bit aggressive. So I'm going to say it in a different way. When it comes to transformation, there's a difference between like disruption and destruction. If I wanted to get fitter, that might be disrupting my schedule, but I don't want to destroy my body, you know, but it, it, there is some level of disruption. And sometimes we can get like very excited to the point of like destruction and knowing where that line is, it's kind of gray, but like knowing where to stop is also very, very important. And it's different on different projects, but like keeping your eyes and mind and heart open that, okay, at some point it might be enough. For example, we are like an 0365 suite. We use Microsoft Teams. If someone came in and were like, oh, let's use, I don't know, another platform. Is that like a battle that we need to fight? Is that actually destruction above disruption? So yeah, I would say the top three things, running proof of concepts and minimum viable products, understanding when your product is at the maximum universal scale and when to, when to create like the blank space or the balancing figure for local nuances. And then three, disruption versus destruction. Another thing that's transforming is the modern office space. Toppy has been working on making employee spaces more comfortable, whether they're at home, in a shared office, or in a virtual space. There's a lot of research that says like people like to have a space that's their base. They want to put like things that are my, like, like pictures of their family. Um, people want to put like artifacts in spaces they 
occupy that help them feel like safe secure and, and, and that this space belongs to them and like how do you manage that when there's like free address you can't like you know there's a clean desk policy and actually you know tomorrow you might come in someone else sat there you got to book the desks there was a point like this in the pandemic but actually where we where we were able to uh, like provide that personalization was okay when you actually dock your laptop into your monitor what was that experience when you turned on your device and was there a way that we could kind of have like an exp- a transient experience no maybe not transient but one that kind of moved with you uh, an omnipresent let's say an omnipresent experience that moved regardless of where you sat in our physical spaces and could also come home with you and you can achieve that through like configurations in browsers and actually really the way is just to educate your employees on like the effectiveness and some of the tools and capabilities within like browsers that exist today that was one way that we were able to provide personalization and and I kind of liked that cuz then it was like location agnostic so it wasn't that okay this is what my computer looks like if I'm at home or from the office or from in like a third location but this is actually what my profile and space looks like and I've configured it and I've maybe even put colors there and I've put like I want to know what the weather is like maybe I want to keep up to date with this bit of like news and I can really work on that visual so that's like one example Employees are not only working within a fluctuating office environment, but huge advancements in tech. Companies can foster digital productivity by providing the right tools. I would go back to my conversation around transformation, like phys- like technological transformation, and then adding on the idea of like these behaviors, which we call digital productivity, but really we we run like ethnographical research um, with like a third party, and we were able to say what are our focuses for digital productivity? What are the behaviors that our employees need or may need? We hypothesize that could be effective and useful given the the advancements we've made in technology. So the first one was art of collaboration and smarter meetings was the second one. And and smarter meetings is less about being an effective meeting organizer or an attendee, but really rethinking the purpose of a meeting, how we share information. When we can do share information like an asynchronous way or use different pieces of technology um, or different types of technology to kind of sh- spread a message with people because you know there's also research that says like effective meetings have like eight or less people and what if you've got like a hundred people you know is that like the right way to meet so anyway, smart meetings is own focus and then agile which is now blown up to be our superpower and actually that is part of like my new role how how do we scale agile within craft times what is the branding what is the communication plan around that what is our internal and external messaging and i'm like six weeks in so we're still working on that i probably don't really have much to share on that beyond that's what i'm focusing on Uh, and then the fourth one is design thinking And, and really like how do we apply principles of design in a CPG, in a manufacturing company, and across all functions within the organization. So not just for like marketing, but what about finance? What about IT? What does design thinking look like in HR? You know, like the principles of design where you hypothesize and then you prototype and you iterate and you really do that root cause analysis. Like these are core fundamental tenants that are effective across the entire organization. So that idea of digital productivity, the digital behaviors that we need or we we hypothesize could be effective in this new way of working, this new life. Serving employees comes back to serve the company in a cycle, but sometimes things can still get a little bumpy. Tapi shares some wisdom she's gained from when things get rough in turbulence. Autonomy and agency is so important. I think it's Daniel P. 
pink, is it? He does like a YouTube video. It, it talks about the fact that employees or humans love autonomy, purpose and mastery. And like one of the best, 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 best managers out there I've ever had in my history to date. He introduced me to that video and, and actually really, what does that mean? And like, even from when you have like analysts in your team all the way to like very senior members of your team, like what does autonomy, purpose and mastery look like? That is something that I think is just very important. Autonomy, purpose and mastery. Uh, and respect for the individual. And that might just sound like so obvious, but you can like give people a lot of money, a great title. You can give them everything that you might think would like motivate people on the surface, but really like respect, nothing like beats respect. And actually like when you don't respect people, you don't respect them, but you really impact somebody's like one's ability to also respect you too. But these are like principles that we teach children we really like hammer them into children and then like we don't reinforce them in adults and actually we make excuses for adults who behave in poor ways when you would never make that excuse for a child so yeah autonomy agency and purpose and then like respect so when things get bumpy what's helped Toppy figure things out what helps me is like humility because when people are afraid i think it's nice to know that you're not like afraid alone but it's nice to know that you have like even while we don't know exactly where to go, I'm like willing and open and I, and I want to kind of figure it out together. In my career today, I've had some awesome experiences on being on both ends of like receiving and giving that like humble humility and like humble leadership where you kind of go on that journey together. And then it's just so delightful when you, when you get it back as well. Um, so when I think about leading through change, no one has all the answers. And the worst thing is to worst thing anybody can do is pretend that they do. But when you kind of give yourself the scope and capacity, you say, I, I don't know, but trust me, I'm, I'm so determined to figure this out with you. Let's do this together. You know, sometimes in uncertainty, people try, like, it's it's possible and easier um, to act in the opposite effective way. After everything she's experienced and learned, Toppy has one big final piece of advice. I would say extend grace to yourself and to other people because we are all like trying to figure this out. I don't think anyone has experience of tomorrow. So yeah, give yourself a minute, give yourself a break, like extend grace to you and then also extend that same grace to other people and assume best intentions. Leading through change can be difficult, but if you have the right technology and the right mindset, you can adjust accordingly. Today, Toppy encouraged us to pursue transformation and experiment a little, try out new spaces, embrace advances in technology, and most importantly, lead with humility and don't be too hard on yourself. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cruising Altitude. This episode is brought to you by First Up, the company that is redefining the digital employee experience to put people first and lift companies up by connecting every worker everywhere with the information that helps them do their best work. First Up has helped over 40% of the Fortune 100 companies like Amazon, Bev, Ford, and Pfizer stay agile and keep transforming. Learn more at firstup.io.